everyone and welcome to Elementary My Dear. I'm Emer McGuire and on today's episode we're talking all about the elements of technology. Mike Sims explains the key elements in modern tech, while inventor Lewis Lone tells us about his award-winning music-inspired product, Signal Optimizer. This is a six-part series where we explore the wonders of some of the most fascinating elements in the periodic table. Elements are everywhere, and each week we discuss their importance in unusual places, from radioactivity in everyday foods to the poison that used to pollute our petrol. And today's episode is all about the elements of technology. Coming up on today's episode, I talk to elements expert Mike Sims. We chat about elements through the ages and how one element in particular has played a huge role in the modern tech scene. And silicon, the element, sort of underpins an awful lot of modern technology. You know, it's the age of, of silicon. And so all these sort of silicon chips and gadgets and things like that. And that is because of a property of silicon, the element, that's called a semiconductor. And it's those properties that, that sets it aside along with a handful of other elements and that enables you to do all sorts of, of magic things. I also chat with inventor Lewis Lone. Lewis is a final year student at Queen's University in Belfast. He's been winning prestigious competitions like Invent NI with his music amp boosting product, Signal Optimizer. He tells us all about his invention and we talk about whether Northern Ireland is the new Silicon Valley. In terms of the Northern Irish tech scene, what's it like for someone who's actually working in it? Because I like to think of it as like a mini better crack Silicon Valley. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's pretty accurate. Um, Yeah, it's really, really good. Uh, The support is is really good. Sort of as soon as you uh, start pursuing an idea, people are just like doing what they can to help you mm-hmm. and go for a coffee and talk you through what they've done and what's worth going for and what they th- things they would do differently. And it's uh, everyone's out there to, to help anyone who's coming up as well. Let's start things off with Mike. Mike, today we're going to be talking a little bit about the elements of technology. And in the elements exhibition at the Ulster Museum, you pick out three elements, silicon, copper and iron. And you choose these as being key to human technology from thousands and thousands of years ago, right up to present day. So I thought we could have a little bit of a chat about what sets these apart from all of the other elements. So do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about silicon? Well, silicon is uh, it's one of the most common elements in the Earth's crust, actually. If you look at all the rocks and granites and sandstones, things like that. It's mostly made of silicon and another well-known element, oxygen. You combine those two together, silicon and oxygen, that makes a, a, a mineral called silica or quartz. Silica and silicates account for 80% of the Earth's crust. That's quite a lot. Yeah, there's, there's a hundred or so sort of elements to choose from, yet 80% of the Earth's crust is made of just these two. So it's an incredibly uh, common material or compound you you never find silicon the element sort of naturally on its own you have to refine it um and one of the properties of silicon is that it's actually quite hard it's it's pretty resistant to sort of wear and tear and, and if you've got a big chunk of of silica like quartz quartz is the the common form of sort of silica you know you get these fantastic quartz crystals and such like and flint is another form of of silica and it's hard and it can make sharp edges and that is something that, uh, and also it's incredibly common. So it's one of those things that 
very early on, people cottoned on to the fact there's an awful lot of this rock around that is harder than the average rock, and it makes really nice kind of uh, edges for cutting things, and that's quite useful when you're trying to skin a mammoth or whatever, <laughs> or, or even before a mammoth. So, so we can go back several million years, and you find that people, in the broader sense of the term, are using this material, silica, compound of silica and oxygen, they're using it to make all sorts of tools. So they can make cutting tools and scraping tools. Uh, and also it's, it's pretty pretty resilient stuff. So you can use it as hammers, so you can bash things with it. It doesn't just fall apart. Uh, and so that gives us really the, the Stone Age, as, well as we, we know it, is this compound of, of, of silicon uh, and oxygen because it's so so widespread, so useful. And then you go through over millions of years and it gets more and more refined and so you end up in the, the Neolithic and they're quite kind of sophisticated and they use these you know, quite quite fiddly little kind of flint tools and things like that. And even today it's almost come round sort of full circle and apparently some surgeons are using uh, they're making little blades of things like obsidian which is a, it's a silicate rock and it makes very very sharp sort of edges so even though you know you think oh we've left the stone age behind no it still does have its uses you're saying about you using it years ago to skin a mammoth kind of makes me a bit uncomfortable to think about surgeons <laughs> using it today oh yeah it yeah. seems so old-fashioned no but you know old, old technology is quite often still uh, pretty good and of course then we move on to the present day or the last 50 years you know that and silicon the element has become uh, you know, a very, uh, you know, it's the sort of underpins an awful lot of modern technology. You know, it's the age of, of silicon. And so all these sort of silicon chips and gadgets and things like that. And that is because of a property of silicon, the element. It's, it's not a straightforward conductor like, a, a, like the metals are. Metals are just kind of conduct electricity, either, you know, extremely well or not so well or whatever. But silicon has odd um, electrical properties so it's called a semiconductor and it's those properties that people that do that sort of stuff really kind of understand that that sets it aside along with a handful of other elements and that enables you to do all sorts of of magic things with with electronics um so as i say it underpins uh, a lot of our technology and it's also really common and that's one of the important things there's loads of it around we don't have to worry about running out of silicon because there's any amount of it and in between those two you've got the the stone age with the skinning your mammoth and you've got the the silicon age with your all the sort of fancy gadgets you've got something in between which is kind of I call the glass age when we invented glass and windows and things like that and again that's using silicon or silica as a as a medium for actually making um well all sorts of things out of, out of glass you know decorative things and windows so it's a really really important element it's amazing that it's used across, you know, so many mediums. You know, you're talking about the glass and the artwork and also things like tools and workmanship, but also technology. And obviously it's had such a huge impact on modern technology with microchips and Silicon Valley and everything. It's obviously mm. been huge. What about using silicon and, and renewable energy? How is that related? Oh, it's absolutely sort of fundamental. Um, most of the solar panels that you see, uh, essentially silicon based so they're using that and and there's an awful lot of solar panels around now so it is a, a sort of fundamental part of it and of course 
an awful lot of the technology which is then used to kind of move this renewable energy around is is again using gadgets. So what about copper? It's another element in the elements exhibition that you chose as being key to human technology. What's so special about copper? Yeah, well, it's always going through these ages of uh, the Stone Age, and then we had the Bronze Age. Now, bronze is not an element. Bronze is an alloy of two elements, copper and tin. But early on, there was a copper age, a rather short-lived copper age. And the thing about copper is... It's not especially common, but there are places where copper is actually concentrated in particular mineral veins, and you actually find copper as a a metal. So you don't have to do anything fancy to extract it. And people quite early on in the sort of early days of the Copper Age and Bronze Age, they were aware of this copper metal and and that you could bash it into shape. It's a bit kind of malleable. So you could bash it into shape, you could make edges, but they quite quickly found out that if you just use copper, the edges are a bit rubbish, frankly, and it goes blunt pretty quickly. So it endlessly kind of bashing it to get this keen edge to it and then some some clever person somewhere caught on to the fact that if you mix tin with it which is another element that was relatively easy to extract from its ore and again it's concentrated particular sort of mineral veins and if you mix tin and copper you've got this alloy which is much harder and that gave us the bronze age so you had these two metals that were relatively common relatively easy to work and they made a quite uh, initially you use it they were making kind of axes and things you know for perhaps clearing the woodlands and a big time of woodland clearance was the early bronze age and then later on they made them into swords and things so they're obviously getting cross with each other <laughs> um so really really fundamental to that element of technology as it were but then moving on to the last couple of hundred years and copper another property of copper is it's the second best conductor of electricity Silver's the best, but silver's a bit expensive, really, isn't it? Um, so copper's the second best. And so when you're getting to a, a stage of our technology where electricity is becoming really quite important, you want something, a relatively common metal, which is a very, very good conductor. And so that's where copper became very, very important. And one of the uh, great things, I think, also in communications, the first transatlantic cable that was successful used uh, seven little strands of copper going from Valencia Island down in County Kerry across to Hearts Content in Newfoundland. So it's those seven strands of copper were transmitting these messages, you know, across the Atlantic. So really, really fundamental to the dawn of the electrical age, uh, we'll say. And it continues to be the, the, the dominant sort of conductor. I suppose all these fiber optic things have taken over. But in between, between this kind of the Bronze Age and the the electrical age. I think there's also the, I don't know what you'd call it, Rose, the, the brass age, we call it. <laughs> if you go back to the kind of the 14th, 15th, 16th century or whatever, and you look at scientific instruments and things, and inevitably they're made of brass. And brass is, a, is an alloy of copper with zinc. Mm-hmm. And you can make fairly high precision kind of scientific instruments with that. And so you look at all these fantastic old sort of microscopes, things like that, and they're all made with sort of brass this copper zinc some of the alloy so copper has been kind of really important you know for again for several thousand years that's fascinating that it's used again in such an array of devices and you know in terms of communication and even equipment but are there any kind of novel or unusual uses of copper oh yeah yes no there is actually yes it's alloys of copper i suppose are the the key things and so 
these days they're all any number of kind of alloys can be done but one that is kind of particularly pertinent to 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 where we live uh, in the past is uh, an alloy of copper and beryllium now if you're working on an oil rig or gas rig or something like that or you're in a bomb disposal squad and you need to hit something with a hammer you don't want to use a steel hammer because it might make sparks and that's that's not great on a gas rig <laughs> So you could have a copper hammer, but as I've said already, copper's a bit rubbish because it's a bit soft. So very quickly, your hammer kind of gets deformed. But if you add just a, a couple of percent of beryllium, uh, which is a very, very light element, that makes a much, much harder alloy, which doesn't produce any sparks. So you get these safety tools, uh, uh, beryllium, uh, copper alloy sort of safety tools. And they were used uh, during the Troubles by the bomb disposal squads for bashing away with hammer and chisel without making any sparks. I'd love to be in the room whenever someone was coming up with that idea, you know, <laughs> can we come up with these hammers that aren't going to yeah. make any sparks? So, Mike, the final element that you picked out in the Elements Exhibition as being key to human technology is iron. So do you want to give us a little bit of a background of iron and how it's helped us as humans? Yeah, well, iron is the is the kind of third in the triumvirate of the Stone Age, the Bronze Age and, and the Iron Age. And the iron... Iron almost never occurs naturally on Earth as the, the metal is, is in ores. And those ores are very, very common. Iron is a ridiculously common uh, element, but you've got to extract it from the ore. So we didn't really get to the sort of Iron Age until people had figured out a way to extract it. You need to get to quite significantly higher temperatures. But once they'd achieved that, then the yeah, there was no limit to what they could produce, you know, because iron is so sort of... So common, and it's very, very versatile metal. And you, uh, as time has gone on, there have been alloys which give you all sorts of different uh, properties. So it's incredibly uh, versatile material. I mean, uh, and I'd like to think that we are still in the Iron Age. You look around, and most things are made of iron or, or steel. Steel is essentially a, a, an alloy of of iron with a bit of uh, carbon and usually with lots and lots of other elements kind of thrown in to give it particular uh, properties. Cars, the Harden Wolf cranes, you know, they're all made essentially of iron. So we have not moved on from the Iron Age at all. And you might think, oh yeah, but all these little technical gadgets and things like that, they don't need iron. Oh yes, they do. Because for instance, you've got uh, little tiny magnets these days that are used in those tiny headphones and things like that. And they are essentially iron. They've got other elements in them. They've got a, an element called neodymium in particular, which makes, makes them incredibly strong sort of magnets, but it's still fundamentally iron. So iron is, you know, underpins everything. It's probably holding up this room up, actually, as we sit here. Um, <laughs> you can actually see when you're looking around, we're probably surrounded by we're iron We're surrounded here. by iron, yeah. So it's, like I say, we're in the Iron Age, and we will be in the Iron Age indefinitely, really. So those three elements that you've talked about, I know you're saying we're going to continue to be in the Iron Age because it's so central to things that mm. we have around us. But what about the three of those those elements? You know, what's the future going to hold for them? Are there going to be elements that are going to eclipse those as being more central to human technology as our technology develops further? Uh, no, I don't think so. The key thing is that these three are common. Silicon and iron are ridiculously common. We're never going to run out of that. Copper, copper less so, so we're going to have to sort of recycle it. It's you know, getting more and more expensive. There are other sort of elements that are used to make much more efficient solar panels, for instance. But And, and it's always said, oh, this, we'll have these fantastic, incredibly efficient solar panels. 
be thinking, yeah, but what elements are that you're using, your tellurine or whatever? We'll run out of that in 20, 30 years. You know, they're much, much scarcer, very limited resource. You know, there's, um, and this is the problem with the, you know, the new ideas about how to do you know, renewable energy is that these a lot of the elements are very kind of limited resource, and so we're just going to run out of them. We're not going to run out of silicon, so we're going to be able to make solar panels of silicon, and we're not going to run out of uh, iron. And if we're careful, we can recycle a, a lot of uh, copper. But so some elements will uh, be in the ascendancy. There's one that particularly is these days is called indium. Most people won't have heard of indium, but most people will be very familiar with one of its properties. There's a thing called indium tin oxide. And the great thing about it is it's it's transparent, but it conducts electricity. And so your touch screens all have ah, a thin coating okay. of indium tin oxide. It's a great, great will. We need to make lots more things with indium. But there are no ores of indium. Indium is, is a byproduct of um, refining, you know, particularly zinc and things like that. So it's, it almost was a waste product until they cotton on to the fact that you can use it for for touch screens but it's very very limited amount of it and we're going to run out so abundance is key here really abundance is the key thing yeah i think if you're going to come up with some real you know groundbreaking new technology use an element that is abundant don't try and do it with something that is really in short supply because you'll very quickly run out of it and that's it you will never become a millionaire perfect top tip for all the future millionaires you're listening <laughs> mike thank you very much pleasure you're listening to Elementary My Dear with Emer Maguire. Next up, I have a chat with someone who has harnessed the power of new technology to create his own product. Lewis Lone is a student at Queen's University in Belfast and he's also the inventor of Signal Optimizer. So today I'm here with Lewis Lone who is the founder of Torrent and creator of Signal Optimizer. How are you Lewis? I'm not too bad, how are you? I'm good. We're talking about the elements of technology in this episode and I wanted to talk to someone who is innovative in the Northern Ireland tech scene. So tell us a little bit about the tech product that you've created. Okay, so Signal Optimizer is a device that goes between uh, an amplified musical instrument and an amplifier and it allows the full sound of the instrument to be heard. And where did you get the idea for that? Because that sounds like quite a, quite a niche concept. <laughs> yeah, so I always had a knowledge of the problem because um, I've been a musician for quite a few years. I've played guitar since I was about 10. Um, and I got into like collecting guitars and amplifiers and things like that. So I knew that the problem was there. But it wasn't until I started studying electrical engineering uh, at Queen's that I like, knew what was actually causing the problem and if there was a potential solution um, and it was last year um, last summer when I got a guitar that sounded really good in the shop and brought it home and plugged it into my amplifier and it didn't sound as good and I thought right I'm going to try and come up with a solution here and uh, began developing Signal Optimizer and then I'm here now. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing when something like that comes from personal experience and you're, you're kind of combining uh, two of my favourite things there as well, music and technology. And just, I know exactly what you mean because I'm a musician myself and I've played the guitar for many years. And just like you're saying, whenever you get home, you think, have I suddenly got really bad at this or does this guitar sound very, <laughs> yeah. very different? Uh, where did that name Torin come from? It's quite an unusual name. So it's Irish for loud noise or the noise of battle. Uh, oh, wow. which I thought sort of tied into to what I'm doing, creating loud noises, because uh, Torrin's also going to be uh, creating 
guitar effects pedals with signal optimizer technology incorporated into them. Wow. Um, okay. So that's the longer term plan. So it's going to have effects pedals and everything as well. Are you thinking that this is going to be aimed towards professional musicians, guitarists only, or literally anyone who plays? Anyone. Um, the problem doesn't ex just exist in guitars. Um, I just knew about the problem in the guitars because I play guitar, but uh, it exists in any amplified sound. So with microphones or synthesizers, uh, they're particularly big problems. Um, and it's yeah, it's not just a device for professional musicians. It's a device for amateur musicians as well. I think uh, a lot of musicians who are into collecting equipment and things like that want the, to get the best sound out of it. Um, and that's what Signal Optimizer allows them to do. And I know you were talking there, obviously from your own experience of being a musician, you knew how it would help with guitars, but also that it could be used for microphones or synths. Is there any other way that could be used? Because I'm almost thinking of it as kind of like the same idea as like a Wi-Fi signal booster. Can you use it for things other than music? Yeah, so I only found that out sort of midway through developing the idea um, that it could be used on other signals outside of audio signals. Um, theoretically, it can be used on anything that sends a signal and receives a signal, which you can go into so many different uh, kind of areas. But one of the biggest areas that we've sort of identified is communication systems there's potential mm -hmm. there to improve the quality of the signal um so after the musical version is completed um <laughs> we'll be looking into changing a few parameters and trying to apply it to communication systems and obviously your product has been identified as being a really really good idea because last month you won the northern ireland invent awards um so just tell us a wee bit about what that competition is and what, what was involved in it? You know, did you get mentoring? Did you get to talk to other people in the tech scene? Yeah, so I think the applications went in in February. Um, then there was a, a two minute pitch uh, sort of in the first round. And then when you got through that, it was to the semi-final. And leading up to the semi-final, there was quite a lot of uh, mentoring stages and different events to attend. And then um, the semi-final was held in the waterfront and it was quite a nerve-wracking experience because it was a pitch in front of an audience, uh, which I think was the first time for quite a few of the people there. And there were hundreds of... I mean, I've been to it before. There are hundreds and hundreds of people in the yeah. audience. It's not a small thing. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you noticed them as well while you're up there. Um, so there was that. And then after that, there was even more mentoring uh, to prepare you for the final, um, which was a much more thorough pitch and business plan. Um and yeah, so there was mentoring from all over the place. Uh, each of the finalists got two one-on-one -on -one mentors, which was really useful um, to sort of guide you through the, the final stages of the process up until the final. And then the final was in a closed room, thankfully, not in front <laughs> of an audience. <laughs> but uh, it was a more, yeah, more intense kind of environment, uh, but very enjoyable. I quite like those ones where there's a lot of judges, but not no audience. <laughs> yeah, that probably makes it slightly less intimidating, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so. It's great, obviously, that Northern Ireland are making a very deliberate step to kind of nurture new tech talent. Yeah. And Vent is a massive way to do that. And it's a very inspirational thing. What about other competitions? Have you been part of anything else like that before? Yeah, so whenever I knew that I wanted to take the idea further and start developing a business, um, I went to the Enterprise SU team at Queen's, because I'm studying at Queen's right now, um, and they were able to put me in 
the direction of all of the competitions that were available and one of those was Invent. Um, but before that, I did some of the internal competitions at Queen's. So they have a competition that's, I think, running right now called What's the Big Idea? Hmm. Um, and you can win a prize pot of something like £2,800 or something like that. Oh, wow. Then there was, uh, in March, Dragon's Den, which was the first sort of serious competition the queen's dragon said um <laughs> not the real. um yeah which is the first more sorry a serious competition that i did not require like a a more uh, thorough application and then a couple of pitches in front of judges um and i i won that one which sort of gave me the confidence to go for uh, the bigger competitions like invent um but between that i've just not so much on competitions, more programs that are yeah. available uh, because there's so many available. Um, I went through the, the Belfast Enterprise Academy, which is um, run by the, the council and it offers support and guidance for uh, students starting businesses. And it was really, really useful because it sort of let you know what questions to ask and things like that if you're not really um, from a business background. Um, and then I also did a program called the Lean Launch Program, which is run by Cubis, uh, which is a market validation program. So they give you up to £5,000 to basically find your potential customers wow. uh, and see if there's a market for your product. Uh, and with that, I was able to go to Nashville to a trade show over there, uh, which is the biggest trade show organization for music. Uh, and that was really, really good. Um, that sort of gave the idea the credibility going forward mm -hmm. as well to from speaking to people in the industry and knowing that they're also suffering from this problem really really helps now that's amazing the fact that there's so much here and i feel like recently i've met so many people in belfast and northern ireland who are part of this amazing tech scene which is just fascinating but people with all different types of products and different kinds of experience i think one of the things that is amazing is the fact that you've done so much and you've won so many competitions and you won invent um and you were the first undergraduate to do so you're still in your final year yep. of uni um so that's such an impressive feat so congratulations thank you but in terms of the northern irish tech scene what's it like for someone who's actually working in it because i like to think of it as like a many better crack silicon valley <laughs> <laughs> i think that's pretty accurate um yeah it's really really good uh the support is is really good sort of as soon as you uh, start pursuing an idea people are just like doing what they can to help you mm -hmm. and go for a coffee and talk you through what they've done and what's worth going for and what they things they would do differently and it's uh, everyone's out there to to help anyone who's coming up as well that's amazing. It's a great sense of community. Yeah, yeah, I know it's really good. So what about the actual tech that's inside your product? Because at the start of this episode, myself and Mike talked all about technology through the ages and the elements of tech. So what goes into making Signal Optimizer? So there's three key stages uh, in Signal Optimizer um, and they're digital measuring, digital processing and analog controlling uh, of the signal. So. The digital element measures the signal and tells the analog circuit what to do. That's sort of a high level view of what signal optimizer is actually doing. Can't say too much about it because I'm working through sort of the patent process and things like that. So I'm paranoid about <laughs> giving too much away. Okay, we'll edit that into a really short answer of whatever the first part was that you said. Um, and at the minute, is it all very much still in development? Is it on sale? Uh, still in development. So it went from 
uh, a breadboard, which is just pushing the components into a board to try and get a circuit going quickly. Um, when I first had the idea, and from there I moved into simulating the software on a computer um, to sort of refine the design and make it more accurate. And now uh, we're at the stage of putting on a PCB, um, so having a physical prototype moving from the, the simulation to a, a real prototype. Um, and then after that, that'll be refined a couple of times and then it'll be ready to to go to market. Ready to launch. Yep. So once you have Signal Optimizer out there and it's out in the world and it's on the market for people to get, what is next for your company? So we're going to be releasing uh, guitar effects pedals uh, in collections of three at a time. Uh, so they will be a collection each year uh, and they'll be incorporating the Signal Optimizer technology within the pedals. And then longer term, it's uh, once Torin is is taking over, it's moving into things like communication systems with the signal optimizer technology as well. Are you going to be the kind of boss pedal of Northern Ireland? Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. Leo Sloan, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to today's guests. It's quite nice to think that even though we've come so far in terms of technology, we still do continue to use key elements from our past. Like Mike said, sometimes old-fashioned is the best. From the Stone Age to the Silicon Age, and not forgetting that very short-lived Copper Age, we've certainly had many important elements play a role in our technological advances as humans. To end today's episode, I thought I'd share a fascinating fact with you all on today's theme, the elements of technology. Earlier in the episode, myself and Lewis chatted about Northern Ireland being almost like a mini Silicon Valley. I actually always wondered how Silicon Valley got its name. I knew it was obviously tech and silicon related, but when did this happen and what was it called before? It so happens that Silicon Valley in San Francisco used to be called Valley of Heart's Delight because of all the beautiful fruit growing there. I thought that was a lovely name. But in the 1950s, the tech scene was brewing and silicon chips were being created. But it still wasn't until the 70s that the new name came to fruition. A technology news reporter called Don Hoffler popularised the name in a column in 1971. He'd actually heard someone who worked in marketing use it at lunch, and Hoffler asked, hey, where'd that name come from? And the marketer said, that's just what the guys call it. Obviously, the people who worked there appreciated the huge impact Silicon had on the tech industry. And so, Valley of Heart's Delight became Silicon Valley. Coming up in the next episode, we hear all about radioactivity. We hear about the radioactivity all around us, it's even in our food, while author Kate Moore tells us the devastating story of the Radium Girls. Thank you for listening to Elementary, my dear, with me, Emer Maguire. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Also, I would really love if you could take the time to leave us a review. Reviews help other like-minded people discover our podcast. Elementary, my dear, is created by Emer Maguire and National Museums Northern Ireland. You can also follow me on Facebook at Emer Maguire, on Twitter at Emer M Official and on Instagram at Emer Maguire Official. For further information, you can check out National Museums Northern Ireland at nmni.com. <laughs>